Hello, welcome to Storytellers of STEM. My name is Rachel Villani. This is episode number eight with my friend Tim Spruill, but he's not just my friend, he's also a physics teacher at a high school in Baton Rouge. Um, He's also my neighbor, which is fun, uh, and we sometimes go running together, but not when there are kolaches involved. Um, Anyway, so he's a physics teacher, like I said, and he is starting, we start off today talking about his club, which was originally called TACWACA, the awesome club without a cool acronym is what that stood for, but now it's officially called the STEAM club at their high school. So STEAM is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, so arts is sometimes included, sometimes not included, but I think that there's a place for it no matter whether you formally include it or not, because the intersection of art and all these other things can be a really powerful place. So which is something that Tim and I will talk about. Um, So yeah, he's gonna tell us what the club does, sort of all these things, and then we evolve into a conversation about just science, accessibility, and all of these other amazing things. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend Tim Spruill. On paper, or, or when it's official, the name of this club is, is Steam Club because old, boring people know what that means. Uh, and most people don't. They, most they're like, don't you mean STEM? We're like, no, no, it's, it's Steam. Um, but the official name is uh, TACWACA, which is uh, the awesome club without a cool acronym. <laughs> uh, which one of my students who graduated many years ago uh, made that up, but he stole it from... A cartoon or something that I'm not familiar with because I'm not that cool. Uh, but yeah, and it's uh, it's a it's an amazing club because we do everything like the the A, which you know stands for art. It's like a get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. So all encompassing. You know, sometimes we're we're using uh, you know giant lenses from TVs to melt pennies. <laughs> And sometimes we're having poetry slams. Like, you just, you never know uh, what we're going to do. And, and we have movie night and game night. Uh, we take things apart, uh, which is cool because a lot of it, like children these days aren't the same. Or, or maybe, maybe you know, I think our, our upbringing was similar in the fact that, like, our, our fathers took things apart and we were a part of that and we fixed things. Yeah. Uh, and most of my, you know, engineering and computer friends had similar upbringings, but most of my students haven't. And so if, if one of them or myself, like if you find a dishwasher on the side of the road, we just bring that in and take it apart. We don't do anything with it. Sometimes we're like, yeah, we'll save this one part. We might need that for something. Like I've got control panels and switches and things from a variety of, of stuff. One time a kid brought in a, um, uh, guess it be an electric reclining bed and it was just the frame uh-huh. and it wasn't one of those fancy ones you see on TV I feel like this is something out of like a you know 1980s hospital bed like it was just big metal heavy frame with giant screws and you know big motors and, and it was wet it had been on the side of the road probably for days um, but they took it apart and they had a really good time and, and they learned how how stuff goes together and then uh, we do have one really great success story uh for a while, we would repair things in the school. Uh, so, like on the science hall, um, none of the pencil sharpeners worked. 
so we got some lab fees, uh, and I think I was department chair at the time, so it was easy to do. I just bought a bunch of pencil sharpeners, mm-hmm. and the club went and installed a pencil sharpener on the wall in everybody's room, and uh, I happened to be friends with one of the guys who was like the facilities management, and so they went and drilled all the holes so that we didn't have to drill into cinder block walls and whatnot, yeah. that's a pain. Um, but as, as mundane as it sounds, you know, putting three screws into a wall to put a pencil sharpener in, that's... It's kind of a big deal if you've never held a screwdriver before. Right, yeah. And, and there's a lot of that. I've taught kids how to, like, use a hot glue gun or, you know, a hacksaw. Just basic, basic stuff. Um, but the big culmination was uh, we have a, a CAPE department, and I don't remember what CAPE stands for, but it's basically um, sort of business and other sort of uh, vocational trainings and they found in a back closet or whatever uh, a plotter, like a, a big an, printer, an HP, you know, whatever that you yeah. can put like thirty-six inch wide rolls of paper in, uh-huh. and it and it didn't work. And so they brought it to us and said, like, you know, it doesn't work now. We don't have the budget or whatever to fix it. So, like, there's no risk. If you can fix it, great. And if you can't, that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. And so we investigated and figured out what it needed and told them what parts to order, and they ordered parts. And then over the period of, a, I guess, a couple days, uh, they, they systematically took it apart, uh, fixed and cleaned and, and whatever else, and put it back together, and the school still uses it today. <laughs> that's awesome. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's, you know, that's amazing. I mean, mostly just needed a new belt. They've got a big rubber belt, and, like, all the teeth had dry rotted off or something. Yeah. But, but still. But you got to investigate and figure it out and fix it, and it's still functional. Yeah. And that's just and that's not just a, replace it with something new when you could fix it, you know. Exactly. So that's just—it's very exciting that they uh, they could do that. And it, and it's weird because there's so many things that uh, I think we take for granted as adults: concepts of of like planning and organization, mm-hmm. and, and or or just thinking something through before you start. And I made them do that. I was like, you cannot touch this plotter until. You have like watched some, you know, YouTube videos or something the whole way through, and you have a plan, and you like we're going to put parts here, mm-hmm. and we're going to organize it like this, and 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 whatever, and and they did it, and, and I was like, wow, you guys are capable of rational thought. Yeah, because if you just took it apart and then pieces were all over the place, you have no idea where it all went. Right. You put it back together, and you'd probably lose something or never get it back just right. So you got to do your homework first. Exactly, and, and and you know, and and what you just said—that that's what they do on the dishwashers and the washing machines, or whatever—is like they just tear into it because yeah. it's already broken. They're not looking to save anything, and, and so it's like this. This has to be different. Yeah. You know, like that was all really good practice for like how things work. Yeah. But but now this is for real. Yeah, that was learning how it works. This is repairing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's a vital difference, probably, in how they approach it. Yeah, so how did you end up, I guess, tell me the story how you ended up being in charge of this club, or, like, the origination of it. Well, it started, I don't know, five or six years ago. I had a crop of of really energetic kids. Kids with, you know, uh, I was going to say good backgrounds, but that's not how I would describe my students. Um... Kids with potential, like the, like these are the kids that if if they had a different environment or whatever, they'd all just be you know the 
valedictorians at some engineering school somewhere. Um, and for whatever reason, the, the like the kids find me interesting, and, and they're like, you know, you should do a club, and it should be like experiments or science or or you you know whatever. Um, and I'm like, uh, oh yeah, sure, whatever. We'll do. Well, let's do something. And and that's kind of how it got to be the like we just do whatever mm-hmm. because uh, essentially it was just sort of like nerdy hanging out. And the group were like I wouldn't characterize them as misfits, uh, but it was a a place where any person could come and be whoever they were going to be and be celebrated for that. So, like, we had some like a kids... a safe that, science space. Exactly. Exactly. And so personal space. Like, some of the kids weren't science or engineering or whatever. Like, they were the artist people. Mm-hmm. And they got to come do science-y things. And, and other people were, like, just science-y people. And they got to do, you know, some awkward artsy things mm-hmm. and whatever. Um... But yeah, it kind of got started with just a, a core group of, I think it was either, I think it was five, six or seven, I don't remember. We designed a flag at some point, and there's <laughs> there's flames across the bottom of the flag, and there's one like little like lick of flame for each of the original founding members. Um, so whatever that number is, that's how many we had. <laughs> yeah. Go look it up. But um but either way, it started off with like, okay, we'll have an experiment every week, or we'll do this, and it and it just it it grew. Like originally, it was supposed to be physics club, and then it was uh, you know science club, and then it and then it just it grew because because we never felt beholden to to any one thing. Yeah, it was just whatever we wanted to do. Um, there were movies that I wanted to show the kids because they never get any of my references. And so once a month we'd have movie night. Yeah. And we showed them some weird stuff <laughs> where they were like, oh, I don't know about you, man. Uh, I think that that is key right there. That like instead of it being this one niche thing like physics club, you made it much broader and you've got in all these people who maybe wouldn't have like ended up in a little group together. And it's, you know, all wrapped around this like kind of central purpose, but it's really big. And I think that that's kind of cool because it's like safe for everybody and kind of got a mission but all these things are related yeah it's cool that it's like inclusive not like oh it's only physics club or whatever which is not to say that a physics club wouldn't be cool but 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 only if you're into physics this is more than that yeah Yeah. and and people people would see like what we were doing and they're like well can i be part absolutely (laughs) come be a part of this we don't care everyone can do this and uh and it went really well for about I don't know, four or five years. And then what happened is a lot of the more, um, I want what's the right word? I would say maybe energetic. People who brought a lot to the club, when we started, we had, everyone was like that. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And then as time progresses, you know, kids get older. Right. They, they do that. There's this <laughs> thing, like, they age, they grow, they become more mature, they all get, you know, eventually they graduate and they go away. Yeah. And pretty much the club aged out. They had a really hard time recruiting. Like, it was this group, and they could recruit from their, their cohort. Mm-hmm. But, like, you need young blood. Right. You need to replenish it. And, and because this club 
was sort of like a, you know, it was like life. It was like self-organizing. Like it just came out of nothing. Mm -hmm. It was it was really hard to get new members because they weren't like a part of that. Yeah, they weren't like bought in from the beginning. Right. And so it's probably intimidating or not on purpose, but there was a year. I think it was two years ago where we had like one member left. And it was the younger sister, like third generation. I've taught this family for a long time. And at that point in time, she was a freshman. And maybe she was a sophomore that year, whatever. And she like just didn't talk. She had, she was just quiet, all internal. You know, I'm just gonna sit in the corner and play my violin kind of person. <laughs> and we did one semester where they were down to like three or four members and they could never seem to get together and meet at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, guys, I'm calling it. Like, I'm, I'm not going to stay after school for like maybe one person shows up. Right, and you yeah. guys don't know what you're going to do. You're not planning or organized. And I think that's the other thing is, is for better or worse, uh, I don't run any of my clubs. I make the kids run it. And I'm like, look, if you guys do amazing, awesome things, it'll be because you did amazing, awesome things. Mm -hmm. And if this club is pitiful and boring and fizzles <laughs> out, it'll be because you guys didn't do anything. So figure out what you want to do. I will sign the paperwork. I will, you know, make the call. Like, whatever it is we got to do, mm -hmm. I will provide that, that adult part that is required for it to happen. But I'm not going to provide a club for you. You have to do that. Yeah. And, and so because we lost all those powerhouse members and we just had this squeamish young lady who just doesn't talk it just in there and it was gone mm -hmm. and I think it was gone for about a year and then this year uh, because I still have posters and just like tack wackos all over my room <laughs> and people were like what's that and I explain it why not I've got a group of seniors this year who, who are like well let's let's do that when can we meet and and they do it. And they're like, well, what did they used to do? And I'm like, well, this, that. And they're like, well, let's do that. <laughs> and 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 so um, they're into all the same stuff. But it's very much like Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> like, this is this is the next group. Uh -huh. And so there's a lot of the same themes. We do a, a lot of the same labs. And it's for the first time for them. Uh -huh. uh, it, but, it's, but it's all slightly different. Like, the, the first group, part of the reason they designed the flag was... Um, I had heard a podcast uh, uh, called 99% Invisible by Roman Mars, and he mm -hmm. had a flag episode. And uh, our robotics team that year, or maybe it was the year before, whatever, uh, had to design a flag as part of their whatever they had to do. Yeah. And so, like, I made people on the robotics team come watch this video. I was like, <laughs> you, you can't just go design a flag. It's yeah, going to yeah. be terrible. You have to watch this video because uh, there was a TED Talk about it, too. Oh, okay. And that helps, because kids love imagery. Sure, yeah. And and so they got it. And so we had uh, a contest. Each kid designed a whole bunch of different <laughs> flags, and we voted on it and, and whatever else. And um, and we picked a winner and, and designed it, and we never did sew it up. Like, we have a digital design <laughs> of this flag, but yeah. it doesn't exist in, you know, in reality. <laughs> Um, and so I showed this to the to the new crop, and they watched the video, and they were like, "Wow, I think about flags totally different now. We should design a, a, a flag." And and I was like, "Well, you can't redesign the old flag. That's the old, but what else could we do?" And so we we looked at and you know like like Baton Rouge is a terrible flag. Agreed. Um, and so I was like, well, "We could do that, but 
but probably you know whoever it is that's in charge of the flag isn't going to like a group of high school students saying, "Well, your flag's terrible, so we designed a new one for you. Here it is." Um, but and and we still haven't designed this flag. They're very flighty, you know, high school kids. Uh, but one of the things we talked about was was for better or worse, this whole St. George thing. You know, I bet you that city doesn't have a flag. <laughs> Probably not. And so we were talking about designing a flag for the city of St. George and basically just saying, here's your flag. Yeah. And they'll probably be thrilled about it. You know, the high school that's in the city, the kids did it, you know. It doesn't matter whether you're for it or against it. We can at yeah. least say they've got a good flag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask if Woodlawn was in St. George. I wasn't sure. Oh, we're dead center. Yeah. We're dead center. Super, Whatever goes down, super. we're going to be we're going to be a part of that. <laughs> All it's right. Gonna, it's going to be great. It's going to be a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's cool. So it started again this year, and it sounds like the people, like the kids you had it in the beginning, and maybe also these kids, like you accidentally ended up providing them an opportunity to do things they'd never get to do, and also maybe accidentally mentoring them. Yeah. Because they find you interesting and relatable, and probably very approachable, and I feel like that whole scenario is probably very beneficial to them in the short term and in the long term. So so here's what happens at our school. And and I strangely enough, uh, you know, people walk up to us on our street out mm-hmm. here. And a kid walked up to me the other day while I was working in the garage and uh, and I, you know, I was like, well I don't have any money or I don't have any, you know, whatever. But he was looking for a job. He just he's like, I just want, I'm looking for a way to make money to, you know, whatever. And he goes to, like, Bel Air or Northdale or something, some school that maybe isn't so great. I don't know. Uh, but the impression I got from him was that it wasn't so great. And I talked about how the teachers were at, at Woodlawn and how, like, we're family and we take care of each other. And, like, these my kids, my students are my kids. Yeah. And that's the thing. And he's like, yeah, I don't think the teachers are like that at my school. Mm-hmm. And That's unfortunate for him and it, his school. It and, is. And his fellow students. And, and so I think that that's part of the deal is... These kids uh, at at my school, at some of the other schools, um, what they want more than like anything else is someone to just give a crap, mm-hmm. someone to to spend some time sharing and mentoring and just whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I love all my kids, and and they see that, and and they like that, and so they're like, yeah, let. If, if if this is what you like to do, then I want to come do this. Let's do this. Yeah. And and so it is. It's 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 simply like you said. It's by accident. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm a decent human being, and so I care for other people. Right. Like, yeah. Is that that's rare, I guess. And yeah. and uh, they respond to that. You know, like if you feed something, it grows. Sure. Yeah. And so uh, and so yeah, they get. I like how you said that they get a bunch of opportunities that they uh, wouldn't otherwise yeah. have. So, and the reason I said that is because this is becoming a theme in the stories that have been told so far on this because this is now the eighth episode and you're the fourth one to talk about mentoring, basically, even though you didn't necessarily say it by name. That's what's happening. And so it just shows how important and how much of a difference it can make. And I just thought that that was... Cool, because you're doing it like in a very informal setting, which is mm-hmm. different than usually how that works. And I think that that's cool, because you know, well, it's I, probably more—it's 
probably more effective in your situation with like a sort of common interest, mm -hmm. even though it's really big. And then, you know, it's like a group where all have a goal in mind and then you're just sort of like advising slash mentoring slash sort of leading well, them I along. Think, I think a lot of it is just exposure. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened over the last 20 years but like I had a pretty awesome childhood with you know camping and backpacking and scouts mm -hmm. and you know car stuff and whatever and I think you had a pretty awesome childhood yeah. and what I find is that a lot of my students you know these kids are 16, 17, 18, 19 years old and like they've never done anything they've never been anywhere mm -hmm. and I'm like man I'd done a whole lifetime of stuff by the time I was your age and so it's important uh, to share uh, these interests and things because they don't know that these things exist. Right, they don't know what they don't know. Right. Yeah. Right. And and uh, there was a promotional video for I don't know if it was for my school or for for EBR a few years ago. And this was one of my first students. I mean, I have a bunch every year. I don't know. It's my first student. <laughs> um, but either way. I got to, she was interviewed in the video, and she was saying that she was going to major in, in physics. And they're like, well, you know, what's that about? And she said when she started high school, like, she didn't know what physics was. Right. And then she had to take my class, and she's like, now I, I think this is, like, the best thing ever, and, <laughs> and I want to major in physics. Uh, and and she's not now. She's, she's going to be an accountant or something incredibly boring that makes a lot of money. <laughs> Um, but it's what she likes, and that's what's yeah. important. Yeah. Um, but it never occurred to me that, like, people don't even know what physics is. Right, yeah. You know, you know we grew up in the age of the space shuttle and, and mm -hmm. like, you know, science and NASA and, and, and whatever. Yeah. And you know, they, I don't know what their thing is. I don't want to bash, you know, social media or something. Like, that's... Yeah, I think that's not the root of all evil. There's probably lots of things in but, play, right? But like, I just don't feel like they center on on. You know, I remember. Um, I don't know if this was a bulletin board or email or whatever. Like, this is in the this is in the late '80s, before internet. But like, somehow I was able to have digital communication with somebody at NASA, and me being a you know eight year old boy, like all I wanted to know was like, what's rocket fuel made of? <laughs> you know, and they sent a very polite email yeah. back talking about kerosene and this, that, and the other, and. And, and I probably still to this day have an envelope somewhere with those things printed out. Right. And, like, that's, that's like, like, seminal stuff in my life. Yeah, when you're eight, that's, like, mind-blowing. Like, NASA wrote back or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, and so, in a way, like, I get to do that for some of these kids. Yeah. You know, because the things that you and I take for granted, like, I get to say I have a friend who, like, they're a scientist, but... Really, they just drive an airboat in the swamp and, and hang out in the, you know, play in the swamp all and day. also do science. You know, and that's what science <laughs> is. Like, I yeah. I spend a lot of time telling them that, like, science is not white lab coats and microscopes and, like, right. sterile rooms that no yeah. one wants to hang out in. Like, it's going out places and, and doing really cool things. And everybody I know who's a scientist basically plays for a living. Yeah, because there's so that's what you want to do. That's what your interests are. So it doesn't feel like work. It feels like play. And also, I mean, you are working, but it doesn't feel like some sort of, like, day job drudgery or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. And there's this whole hashtag, 
that's going around on Twitter. It's like this is what a scientist looks like, and it's people doing like everyday stuff, mm-hmm. like you know, doing whatever. And almost none of them are wearing lab coats. No, <laughs> you know, like that's like a subset of what all science is about is in a lab. Um, but that's like what people think of, you know, when they think that's of science. Exactly. Um, how do you think that this club impacts your students long term? Because I know you're in touch with some of your students at least after they graduate, but I don't know if you're in touch with people who are in the club or not. Um, like, do you think it makes them more curious about things, or do you think they just kind of forget it? Or I'm just curious if you think it has any kind of impact long term. Obviously, it has a good impact while they're there, it sounds like. It's. A, I think the full spectrum of possibilities is, is what the end result is. Because, like, yeah, some of them. Sense. Uh, like there's one guy and he is a professional soccer coach he's not into science I mean he's into science but like he doesn't do any science yeah, yeah. He, I don't think he's ever going to college it's just not the path you took yeah, yeah. Um, you know there's the young lady who is going to be an accountant mm-hmm. uh, she wants to work like she works for Kane so it was like her first job ended up becoming a career and she's like this is how I get into management and one day I'll have my own restaurant blah blah yeah. blah um, but then there are others, uh, like like Darla. You've met Darla, mm-hmm. and like she's going into mechanical engineering with a minor in aerospace, and that's badass. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing. She has grown up in a uh, like a blue collar family, and I think it was her her parents. It might have been another student. And there was some student whose parents. Like, they were like, I want to be a physicist. And they were like, what jobs are there for a physics degree? You can't get a career with a physics degree. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not talking about, like, a like an art degree here. We're talking about a physics degree. There's every job and all the money Everything and travel the world. Like, yeah, like, she needs to be exposed to... Like real life science, mm-hmm. not just an interest, not just school. Sure. But yeah. like, what does this look like in the lab? Right. What is it to to be around these people twenty four seven? Like these, yeah. this is your group. Right. Um. And, you need and like hands on or job experience or internships yeah. or whatever it is that gets you like that kind of experience. Yeah. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with 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 vocational careers. There's nothing wrong with For blue sure. collar or whatever. But it, what I've seen in my school is it can be very difficult for uh, someone who has a blue-collar background to transition into the world of science. Uh, there's a lot of fear of the unknown. Um, there's fear of just college. Um, there's fear of you get a piece of paper, but it doesn't guarantee you a job. Mm-hmm. And what what we want them, and especially Darla, to understand is like, if you go get that degree, job's not a problem. Like, you're going to be fine. And we'll, if you're really as good as we think you are, like, you're going to have a job at a lab or whatever before mm-hmm. you graduate. Like, they're going to be waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And it's all going to be taken care of. Don't worry about it. Like, I don't know any science people who are like, oh, I don't know. Might be on food stamps next week. Yeah. My lab's going to shut down, and I won't be able to study biochemistry anymore. Like, yeah. that's just not how it's science works. It's not the works. norm at any rate. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they need to, they need to know that. Um, it's, are you familiar with um, Maslow? Yeah, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? Only barely. Okay, so it's, it's um, you know, there's all these fun 
acronyms and things we do. It's you know you got Bloom's taxonomy of learning, and you've got you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, but it's it's basically the things you need as a human um, like to live, and like the bottom need is like you know food, water, shelter, mm-hmm. and then the the next need is something like um, you know to be loved. And, uh, you know, somewhere in there is, is, you know, sex and somewhere in there is, is, you know, life fulfillment and Uh and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of the kids that I work with, they're in the bottom level. Like, like I've had kids who are like, I couldn't do my homework last night because our power got turned off, you know, or, or like, I I haven't eaten in three days or, or I have eaten, but it was just Cheetos, you know, that kind of thing. Or I... Or I don't see my parents because they're working. Yeah. Like, they're making the money so that we have the lights and the food and the whatever. And so when you're there, it's hard to understand when someone says, I need you to take this risk. Mm-hmm. No, I can't guarantee you anything, but you should pursue science. You yeah. should get a degree. You should, you know, become an engineer or a physicist or whatever. There's a, there's a, a, a disconnect and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm hungry and someone says, you know what, you should do more math. And be like, no, nah, man, I want a burger. Like, I'm hungry right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and so that's, I think that's part of that exposure and everything mm-hmm. is, is, is meeting these people finding out that it's normal. It's, you know, science is just another job. And you, you, right, you yeah. we all put our pants on one leg at a time. And <laughs> yeah. I think that that's part of the goal of my podcast right is to like make it because stem and steam they're very big and there's lots of things within those Mm -hmm. and lots of things that most people don't know about but we're all just people and we all have a story and it's all relatable in some way to somebody Mm -hmm. it's not this like big but kind of ambiguous thing that's like untouchable you know i don't know it shouldn't be scary it's just people doing a job that happens to be science or tech or engineering or math or medicine or art or whatever and or some combination of those Mm -hmm. and just it's it shouldn't be i don't want it to be as intimidating as it often is so i'm going to point out two things uh, that are why this podcast is so important and why the this exposure and mentoring and everything is so important um the first is that uh, we as science people uh, have not done a very good job of being ambassadors? Yeah, we're not really, I personally, as a scientist, I'm not really an outgoing people person. I'm more of an introvert, let me do mm-hmm. my data, but I'm working on that. <laughs> yeah, no, we have to so be our own cheerleaders, hard. and it's that's hard. hard. It's a big transition. It's often not like a natural thing for the type of personality of the people in this field. Yeah, well, like, especially like in physics, there's like a, um, I'm going to go ahead and say it, there's a vicious cycle that uh, historically the only people who have gotten physics, like, you know, where it's clicked for them, have been these sort of, um, you know, weird kind of extreme individuals who can, you know, think in math and numbers mm-hmm. and whatever. And then those are the people who turn around and teach it. And as a consequence, the only people who can be successful in their classes are similar people. Mm-hmm. And and so you get this perception that like the only people who can do physics are those people, but it's because that's how it's being taught. Mm-hmm. And if it was being taught in a way that was more human and, and, and just reachable, 
Yeah. You know, like, it doesn't have to be crazy, complicated, weird. I mean, that was kind of Richard Feynman's deal. Is like, this can be down to earth. This mm -hmm. can be just normal, understandable by everybody yeah. stuff. We can make it very accessible. Yes. It's just currently you know? mostly not. Right. And I, and I think math yeah. is the same way. A lot of math teachers, they just, here's the math. Don't worry about what it's for or right. how it was discovered or why this is even interesting. Just, yeah. just learn the math and then we'll take a test and you'll make an A. Yeah, that was always my problem with math in school. A, we were always way behind, I know now, from what other people were doing in the same grades. But like, yeah, I always wanted to know, but why does this work? And that question was like, it doesn't matter why. But it, to my brain, it does matter why. Because mm -hmm. if I don't understand why it works like that, then it seems arbitrary to me. And then I can't remember it. I had the same problem with like trig and calculus and just kind of the same with physics because I couldn't imagine it or figure it out. But like, I don't understand why it works and I just could never like get my brain around it. And see, and that's and, not your problem. Yeah. That's your teacher's problem. I was, uh, I'm going to leave out names out of professionalism, but there were two math teachers having a conversation at my school and uh, a student was transferred from one class to the other class, same subject. And the, the math teacher who had the student before was like, oh, you know, good, good luck with that one. That student's just terrible. They're not good to have at all. And, and so the new teacher's like, well, what's the problem? Like, well, they ask all these questions about, like, why did they get this question wrong? Or can you explain how this works? And, the, and, and so the new t teacher, who's my friend, is like, that's the problem? <laughs> like, you had a student who wanted to engage and, like, yeah. why this wanted works and more. understand that, you know, more than just the mechanics of it? Okay. Is this how you teach all of your classes? Maybe that's the problem. Um, so, yeah. And that, so that, that happens all over the place. Yeah. And, and it just turns. I wouldn't want to be a part of whatever that subject is. Mm -hmm. I can get it done, move on. Right. That's why I sort of like avoided math and avoided. I took physics in high school. I did not do well in physics in high school, but like I also didn't have a good math base to go with it because of all the history of bad math mm -hmm. teachers. Or just like, not maybe they weren't bad math teachers, but they didn't explain it in a way that it worked for my brain. And maybe they, it worked for most people, but it didn't work for me. And then. When I took statistics in college, again, bad math base, but also it just seemed made up because nobody could explain why it worked the way it worked. And I was like, this is just arbitrary. So like, I still just made don't up understand. some things. So yeah. I still don't understand. But that's a, a flaw somewhere. It may be because my brain in that doesn't work the same way as maybe most people's do. No, no, it's not or you. Like, it's the teacher. Yeah, and I never... It's only now that I'm realizing, like, maybe there's something I could have done to, like, compensate for, like, to make up the difference to teach my brain how to do it, but I never did figure it out. Now, it's probably too late now. <laughs> yeah, well, and see, that's the thing is, is you get these, the kids who do excel in those environments are the ones who, they're, like, they're dedicated to it, and they're going to put in the time to overcome the hurdles that their teacher has put in, in, in mm -hmm. the way. You know, because, like, Think about, uh, so these same kids I have that maybe struggle in math and science, they will suck down Vsauce on YouTube, <laughs> YouTube all day, or Numberphile, or uh, Smarter Every Day, mm -hmm. or Veritasium. Like, they love that stuff. It's because it's accessible. Yeah. It's because those people have social skills. It's because they break it down, and they make it like, understandable mm -hmm. to the normal, average human being. Right. And like... That should be every teacher. Yeah. 
And that's why science ended up, I think, being my thing because I had really good science teachers who would answer the but why mm -hmm. questions. Or, and it was also a little bit more tangible, like literally tangible. Like, I can see a tree or I can see a bird or whatever, a river. Uh, and so that was like, I had something I could physically like interact with and also had teachers who would like answer the but why question. And I, I had good science teachers all through growing up. And so it's funny how like that's been my thing, partly because of the education and partly probably it was just a natural interest anyway. Mm -hmm. But because it was a natural interest and it was fueled, it just sort of like kept going, you know. And I think that that's probably good, would be true for almost everybody, if not everybody. But, you know, obviously their interests would be different but if you just like feed that flame. That's the key. You know? Now, the other thing, and I only learned this recently, uh, I was reading an, an article uh, suggested from a blog, and I can provide all those details later if you need them, because uh, I'll get all the names wrong now. Um, but it was talking about uh, addressing the issue of, of science is mostly just white males. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the techniques we have now for uh, getting people into science that aren't white males are based on the idea that, like, they didn't think they could be a part of that or they didn't see a bunch of not-white males and they're like, well, that's not for me mm -hmm. or, or somebody told them they couldn't do it or whatever. And, and though that is an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but it took a completely different tack in this article that I'd never thought of. And it was the idea that uh, because of the history of science and because it has been exclusionary and so forth, that... Uh, that it's not built for the non-white males. And I don't mean like, oh, they can't do it because it's not built for What I mean is that it is it has become like exclusionary in its nature. Mm -hmm. And and the problem is not that the uh, you know the minority or the female or whoever uh, isn't interested in science. It's that science isn't interested in them. And and I'm sure there are, you know, many dissertations that will be written about the ramifications of, of that statement. Um, but that had never occurred to me before, that maybe yeah. the issue isn't that, that, you know, some young black girl uh, isn't interested in science because she wasn't exposed to it. Maybe it's that she wanted to get into it and found it just wasn't a very great environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I can give you an example of that. Uh, I forget what university it was. Some university recently, like Princeton or Yale or somebody, uh, was trying to get more women into their computer science courses. And they did two things to change, or two things to their courses that suddenly made women into it. First thing is they changed the name of the courses. And I don't know what the original names were, but the new names were like, you know, Problem Solving 101 or something. It was... Uh, it was much more like there's some sort of a challenge and we'll, we'll mm -hmm. solve this problem together. Uh, but then the other thing that they changed was that the environments within those courses tended to be very competition-based. It was, it, was, it was not like we're going to grade you against the norm. It's like we're going to grade you in, by hierarchy. Like, oh. like, you know, you're first and you're second. No, you're not good at this. Well, you're just last oh. or whatever. That's very and they, aggressive. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing is they found it's very aggressive. And, and, of course, what goes good with aggressive? White males. Yeah, I don't do well with that. Personally. And so when you, when you take that away and you, they made it more of a, of a, a group-based, problem-solving mm -hmm. environment, 
they found that that women are super awesome at at problem solving and dealing with complex yeah. problems and, and situations and working with other people. Yeah. And so not only did their numbers approach the population numbers that they should be, uh, but they found that uh, women were as successful or more successful in those classes than they had been, yeah. or as men, sorry, than they had been previously. And it was just those those little things where it, it wasn't designed for them, and, mm -hmm. and, and by accident that had created an adversarial environment, yeah. and it pushes them away. Yeah. And so we have to be aware of that as, as you know, mentors and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. What are the, the sort of the hidden things going on that make something exclusionary? Yeah. Um, great example, uh, uh, I coach cross country and track, and we've had a problem that at various meets we look ragtag. Uh, all of the you know wealthier schools are there, and everyone's wearing like the exact same uniform, and they have their track suits, mm -hmm. and they're like matching backpacks with their names embroidered and whatever. And so we set a rule this year that like you can't get on the bus to go to a meet unless like you have these pants and this shirt and da da da. And I'm talking to one of the other coaches, and I was like, "This is all really nice." But like I did the math on all the clothing that you want these kids to have, and it's going to cost them like 120 bucks a head to do this, and we're going to have to cut back. And so we settled on like a shirt and a jacket, and then from the waist down, like just black, mm -hmm. anything black. And and so we're still going to look good, but it was something that like you didn't think about. Like if you play sports, you all wear the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Well. Are we excluding kids who maybe don't have the cash flow, who, who could be great athletes or, or want to be involved, but they just can't? You know, it's just, just like I got kids that, and I don't have a solution to this, but like kids who want to be in clubs, but they can't because they can't get a ride. Right, yeah. Or they don't drive or whatever, or their parents work a weird schedule, that kind of thing. And and uh, those are those hidden things that are mm -hmm. keeping people out of various fields or interests because uh, it's just not accessible, mm -hmm. and we have to find a way uh, to to overcome that. Yeah, yeah, because that the uniform thing probably sounded really great, like oh, everybody's gonna look the same, and it's gonna be awesome, but like not everybody has the same economic situation in the same like you just don't have the same. I don't know, can't always do the same thing necessarily, especially when it's a cost like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's good that it was recognized and like I think that's becoming more the norm in general now is like realizing that not everybody's the same, not everybody needs the same things and like not I don't mean that to not be equal, I mean it to be equitable. Like, you know, some people learn differently or some people need certain different attention styles or teaching styles or whatever. Like people are different, but everybody should have the same opportunities and well, there's a not exclude anybody. There's a statement from some thing. going around in teaching and hopefully in other places that simply fair is not always equal. Right. Yeah. I was thinking of this like meme I saw and it yeah. was like, is the one with the animals? I, maybe. And it was like, you want it to be equitable, like, but you want everybody, I can't remember what the thing was. I'll have to find it. I'll have to share it with this, but. Yeah, go ahead and explain. Your so there's life. so there's two comics or, or you know like political cartoons yeah. about this, and one is a it's a lineup of, of animals, everything from like a goldfish in a fishbowl to a giraffe, monkey, you know whatever, and and the there's like a professor in a lab coat or whatever, and and they say uh, in order to make this uh, test fair, we're going to make everybody do the same test, and and you all have to climb this tree, uh, and right. like well clearly that's. 
that's not very fair. Yeah. It's it's definitely equal, but right. it's not fair. Right. Yeah. That's I remember what mine was. It was a picture of a bicycle and it was like a bicycle for everybody like you know is not going to be the same for someone who's smaller like a kid mm-hmm. or whatever or someone who has different physical needs like it's all going to look different it's the same concept yep just a different well there's a, there's topic. another one of uh three people like watching a baseball game or something over a fence and uh they're all different heights and so the equal there's three boxes the equal is all of them are standing on a box and the tall person who didn't need a box to begin with, they're like, they're way up in the air. And, and like, the other two can't even see or something like that. And then they show the, the fair is, like, the short kid gets two boxes and the medium kid gets one box and the tall guy doesn't need any boxes. Yeah. Like, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and then the best, most real-life example that I've heard uh, was the idea that uh, we shouldn't let people wear glasses to take tests or go to school because it's not equal. Oh my god. And so and, and obviously that's a everybody's you know, eyesight's it's not like the a, same. Exactly. Right? Like my eyesight is terrible. But it's not fair that they get a they get an advantage because they get special tools advantage. that the rest of us don't get. I wouldn't be able to even see the test. And and that's the whole thing is like fair isn't equal. Right. It's there's a difference. If we can yeah. all see the board, then whatever it takes for us to all see the board, that's fair. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't see the board, which is why I wear contacts. Because Same with me. I couldn't find my feet if I didn't have my contacts in. Yeah, Let so, alone read a test and take a test. I feel like a typewriter. <laughs> like moving the paper in front of my face. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, we went off on a tangent, but I think that this tangent is becoming a theme from everybody I've talked to. Because there's a whole episode that's going to well, be before this one about um a mentoring program so oh, nice. like this is number eight episode and then i think four of the eight so far have talked about this same theme so uh it's clearly very important to all of the people that i've talked to in stem and will be important to everybody coming up into stem mm-hmm. yeah awesome i don't have any more questions for you okay cool thank you tim oh you're very welcome rachel enjoy that conversation with Tim. He has a lot of really powerful insights into things that students need, particularly in high school, because that's where his experience is. So we, like I said, we talked a lot about that, and I hope you enjoyed that. For reference, the episode where we talked about mentoring is episode number uh, four with Julia Dirk and Russell Lede, and I will make sure to link back up with that so everybody can find it. But it's episode number four if you want to go um, hear more all about a mentoring program. Uh, that was really powerful at NYU. Uh, and so we were sitting outside at uh, Tim's house. Like I said, he's my neighbor. So I just had to walk down the street and bring the podcast to him, which was cool. So there's a few obnoxious Blue Jays in the background. Just, I guess, wanted to be on the podcast and say hello because birds are cool. Um, so I have a bunch of resources I want to share about the things that Tim and I talked about. So if you are interested in any of that, Go hang out on my Twitter, at Flying Cypress, and I'll be posting, you know, obviously this, but then all of the links to things we've talked about for further reading and information and just sort of, like, knowledge transfer kind of thing. Um, Yeah, so anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. And if you have a story that you want to tell me, because I would definitely love to hear it, 
then just find me on Twitter or on my website, rachelvillani.com, R-A-C-H-E-L-V-I-L-L-A-N-I.com, and get in touch, and I would love to have you on the podcast. Uh, See you next week. Thanks.